0: You are listening to The Loom, a podcast series featuring folktales, myths, legends, and lore from all over the world. My name is Genevieve, and I'm delighted to be your host. Today, we are joined by guest storyteller and poet Claire Obermark, founder of Kaylee Corner in Sedona, Arizona, former committee member of the Scottish Storytelling Centre and chair of the Good Crack Club in Edinburgh, Scotland, which is where we met once upon a time. This podcast series is brought to you courtesy of my patrons on Patreon, without whom its existence would not be possible. If you would like to explore extended materials and feel like supporting the further growth and expansion of this podcast, consider heading to Patreon.com slash songs for dark times and becoming a patron. Likewise, if you enjoy these episodes, please consider subscribing sharing the series with your friends, or helping others to find it by leaving a quick rating and a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the show.
1: Okay, well, my name's Claire Obermark. I'm currently in Sedona, which is in northern Arizona, um, where I've lived for three years I think I think it's nearly three years um and as you can tell by my voice I wasn't born here in America so um I was born down in the south of England down in Wiltshire and then I grew up in the north of England in Yorkshire and then I moved to Scotland and then I came to Arizona so um that's how I ended up here and I've been storytelling now for, I was trying to think last night how long it's been. And I it's about 12, 13 years. Kind of formally, yeah, formally, I'd say 12 years, yeah.
0: How did you, how did you get started into storytelling?
1: I had um, a couple of things happened to me um, and I got, I didn't, I'd been to going up to see friends um, in Edinburgh and different places in Scotland and Scotland decided I was going, you know, Scotland kind of just went right. You're coming here. You don't have a choice in that. So that's why I ended up in Scotland. But um, I fell into it, really. I fell into it. I was aware of it, but I didn't have a community. Mm. You know, I didn't have a specific place to go you know it, the thing about storytelling is you need a space you need a place to do it it's mm-hmm. it's a practical thing you know that's happening it, you know you have to find a place to do it at the moment with you know thanks to COVID we're all do, you know Zoom has kind of taken over our world for the last mm-hmm. few years but, but normally you need an actual physical place so I didn't feel as if I had that. You know, I didn't have a monthly club. There was, there were things going on in Yorkshire in a place called Hebden Bridge and other places, but I didn't drive at the time. And Hebden's kind of out in the sticks. It's a couple of trains and a couple of buses for me to get there. So, And I would have had to leave them uh, event early. I would have probably, by the time I got there, I'd have only been there for an hour. And then I'd have had to go. So I didn't really feel as if I had a close community where i could practice and listen and i found that in in scotland you know and that was kind of heaven it was just absolute heaven you know and i found my people you know so Mm -hmm. that's that's how i fell into it and um and and once that happened that was that was me you know i was that was it really you know and it's as soon as you've got people to listen to you know you're just going to keep listening you know, and that is just such a joy, and I'm very lucky, you know, you don't really meet any unhappy storytellers, you meet people who have got stuff going on, but you, they, they never say, oh, I'm a storyteller, and, you know, it's never like, (laughs) you know, you don't meet an unhappy storyteller, it's, it's an amazing thing to fall into, and be, and I feel very lucky, and, I was thinking about this last night because I was wondering what you were going to ask me. And I was thinking, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the greatest thing about it? Why do I love it so much? And it's because every single storyteller that I know has got, and I know this for definite, has got a story that I've not heard yet. Yeah. They've all got one.
0: Yeah.
1: Even though I've heard them, you know, whether I've heard them once or dozens and dozens of times, they've still all got stories that I haven't heard. You well, know, and that's yeah, great, you know. Yeah, and I,
0: I spent a good amount of the week going back over uh, the videos and recordings of yours that are online, and what I kept being struck by is that even if I knew, like, a number of the stories that you told, I had never heard those versions, and even if I had heard similar versions, every storyteller is just so uniquely different. Yeah. So there's never a time I'm yeah. not captivated and in your tellings, especially, there was this like beautiful, like profound whimsical quality, but also something very tangible and very down to earth. It was amazing.
1: Thank yeah. you. yeah. well, I had um, you know, you just keep going. you can, you just keep practicing and keep practicing. and the more the more you listen, the the more you practice, the the more relaxed you get. Mm. And I think that's a big part of it is is just relaxing. You know, and not being afraid to, um, if as long as you've got the bones of the story and you know it and you love it, that's okay. I think as long as you love the story, it will come through right. You know, you should never tell a story that you don't love. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't love it, don't tell it. You know, somebody else can tell it. Somebody yeah. else will. Love it. You're not meant to tell every story, mm-hmm. you know. Somebody yeah. you're just meant to listen to and enjoy and that's fine and I think that's another thing that comes along is that you relax you know it's not you don't try and grab every story in the world you know because they're not all for you yeah. to tell a lot of them are for you to listen you know
0: do you remember uh, one particular moment when you went oh yes I'm a storyteller now was there something that changed or shifted for you
1: yeah there is there- it was really not a moment, but it was, well, I guess it was a moment. It was a kind of the penny dropped on things that had happened in the past that had led to it that I'd never really put together before. So there were a couple of things that one day I was, I was thinking, wow, that's, that makes sense now. And it's kind of, I think a lot of storytellers who I know and have said that and have touched upon this is that, We've all kind of been leading towards it in our own way, and there's threads in our life that lead you into being a storyteller. And you don't, and then you can look back and go, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense now." You know, there's a couple of things, and for me, it was when I I remembered being I went to when I was at school we were in a history lesson and I was doing so I was about 11 or 12 mm-hmm. and we were doing history and they were going through the kings and the queens of England and I asked the teacher and the teacher was a lovely man and I asked him where are all the other kings and queens like and he and he and he didn't like the fact that I was asking about other kings and queens and he <laughs> and he said it doesn't matter Claire you don't need to know about the other kings and queens and I sat there and I remember thinking I do yeah I do need to know about there's a whole load of stuff going on here we've got England Ireland Scotland Wales where are all the kings and queens I I felt at that moment as if I was receiving a quarter of my education of the place I was from yeah. you know the, that was the place I was from it's a small place there's a lot going on but it's not a big place and I think a lot of it is the fact that you know you, every child deserves to know all the dialects and all the stories and all the the things about the place that they're from, yeah. you know, unbiasedly um, in some form, you know. And um, and I remember kind of I didn't argue with him because, uh, and I just kind of thought that's not right. And now I look back and I think well maybe he didn't know himself you know maybe I was in you know literally maybe he didn't know and he was a bit thrown by the question but I, I literally I got told off and told not to ask anymore about the other kings and queens and that I think was the day that I realized that my information was going to come externally it was going to come outside of the curriculum outside of formal education and I started looking for pieces of information outside of that formal building I started listening to things and looking for different pieces of books and you know that's when I realized I wasn't going to get what I needed in that building I was going to get a formal education but my inquisitiveness was still looking elsewhere so it kind of it helped me you know in that sense yeah yeah so I think that was a big thread Um, and then just when you start doing it formally and you actually go to events and you go to places I think it's when the first person comes up to you and says that was a great story you know it's lovely It's when somebody comes up to you and says I really enjoyed that story thanks or they've heard it before or you know they tell it as well but they tell it in a different way or whatever and when they engage in a conversation with you about the story that you've told I think that's when you realize oh yeah I am a storyteller I am allowed yeah. to have this conversation yeah right <laughs> so that's nice as well but I think those threads of when you're younger there are things that lead you to it you know and my family is quite a big family and it's very mixed so in my family there's English there's Irish as Welsh West Indian and I think along with that I was listening to my granddad one day and he was singing a song in Welsh and he didn't think anybody was there. And it was October time and he was burning the leaves outside in the garden. I had a fire going and he was singing very gently, not loud, but he was singing this song. And I remember kind of creeping and he didn't know I was there and I was listening to him. And that was the first time I'd heard a different language. Yeah, spoken by somebody near to me you know and I was kind of transfixed up I was thinking what's he saying what's he saying and so that kind of inquisitiveness I think leads to it of this this seeking knowledge you know trying to find out as much as you can and learning wanting to learn in a different way than just reading or being told it by a teacher you know you, yeah. you're learning in a different way so I think these things lead up to you doing it but you just don't realise at the time, you know. Yeah, totally. Is there,
0: do you remember stories being a big part of your childhood and your growing up? Like I remember. Whether you were aware of it or not. Sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of, because my, uh, my family's quite big, especially on my mum's side, there were lots of family stories. So we grew up listening to kind of funny stories about what our uncles had done. You know, my mum was the oldest of the girls. She's one of 10. So when she came along, I think she had three brothers who were older than her than her and obviously they teased her mercilessly and they'd hang her off the tree by the pin of a kilt and stuff like that and put her in the chicken coop and all this stuff so there were all these kind of like um when they were playing out one of them nearly uh drowned in um, quicksand and things like that and there were all these kind of stories that got repeated and repeated you know Mm -hmm. that we heard and then my mum if she went to see anything she would tell us the story of what she'd been to see. So she went to see a film, or, or, as outside family stories. I remember the first time she told me about a film that she'd watched, and she told me the whole story. And I, it was a horror film, and I was absolutely <laughs> petrified because my mum could be really scary. I and mean, me and my sister in the kitchen, were we're just like. <laughs> and she literally just told us the whole film when she'd been to see it the night before with a mate and, she, you know, it was really, really spooky, scary. But right. So she, I think I got it from her and my grands. Both my grands were very, they were great to talk to, you know, and great to listen to. They were both yeah. very, very funny. Yeah. So I grew up surrounded by these people who were, there was lots of banter and lots of little stories and, you know, the same things being repeated. So I think it was, like you say, without realising it, yeah. i got a kind of informal training, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting point too because at least I think for a lot of the people I know, if I were to say, say, like, I'm a storyteller, they automatically go to these sort of epic myths and legends and battles and Aye. all of that. Yeah. Um, but I feel like – well, not I feel like – I. I was gonna I know. (laughs) No, but story is so much more than that. Um Yeah where where do you think the bridge is or conversely the differentiation between say like telling a story about your great uncle, you know, Mm -hmm. around the kitchen table versus getting up in front of a group of people and performing? Because I feel like not in all of America, there are definitely other parts of America that still embrace story what I guess I would call storytelling culture. But it's still, at least in the big cities and such, it's still very different. It's a distant niche thing as compared to many of the other countries that I've visited when I've been in Mm -hmm. Europe. So Mm -hmm. how would you explain to say an American audience what the difference is and how they're related?
1: Um, Yeah, definitely. And I know you are a great storyteller because you're great at ballads and you you sing your stories you know so you sing your stories <laughs> yeah you know and yeah. so and you have done a lot of traveling and seen contrast so I know that you get that and I found that very sharply the contrast here in America. so there is definitely you're right there definitely is a difference although there are groups of amazing storytellers here who do you know and it, and it's lovely um, but I think the main difference um, is microphone yeah. setting size of audience locality here in America it's so big you know people think nothing of driving two or three hours I was my uh, stepmom the other day well not the other day but a while ago she said oh we're going somewhere and it was a four-hour drive and they didn't know whether to stop after two hours and stay over somewhere to rest (laughs) now before I lived in America that I wouldn't have flinched at that I'd have been oh yeah yeah you'll need a break by then now I was just like what you know it's kind of Americans drive you know they drive and they think nothing of driving two three hours to attend something and then go home you know so it's that difference of locality so you're traveling I think I think you're traveling from a much further distance so when you get there to listen to that story for a start it's probably not going to be a folk tale or a traditional story the storyteller is probably going to be talking about themselves mm-hmm. that's the difference traditional mm-hmm. stories about the listener not the teller yeah. so um, the storytellers are probably going to have a microphone they're going to be in a much bigger room yeah. they're going to be talking about themselves yeah. um and the locality is not as small as it would be traditionally. So you've got people coming from all over to listen to a story, and the differences um, at home for me, or in different areas of Europe, you know, different places. The chances are, if you attend a storytelling event, the story is going to come up that you actually know the place physically.
0: Mm.
1: You know, so you yeah. know that river. You know, that hill, you know, that place or that building or that stone or you've heard of the person or whatever. You have a connection to it or you're more likely to in some way. Whereas here in America, because it's so big, you know, you've driven two hours to listen to somebody talking about themselves. That's not a location. That's not a connection to locality. Yeah. Yeah you know that's there's a different type of connection but it's not to locality so that's the difference I think is that like you say it's the size of the place it's the connection to where it's happening Mm. and um it's and also the subject matters are different so it is definitely different it's definitely different you know yeah
0: yeah that's something that um has started to happen for me in story a bit, but mostly has happened in in folk music. Is you mm-hmm. know, I'll, I'll sing um, songs about places. Like you have songs that you've fallen in love with from you know from yeah. Europe, but once you've been in a place that you're singing about it's there's some other element of life that seeps into the telling or the singing thereafter and it's It's really important yeah it's palpable it's it's not the same like I can see the hill where this took place I can see the river and like I can't even imagine what it would be like to grow up On a place, you know, where it's it's not just a bit of 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 lore, like oh, there's a story about a witch that lived there, like that Mm -hmm. that too. Mm -hmm. But the idea that my great grandfather actually was the one who found the witch on the hill, and it almost becomes more believable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. And there's something to be said as well about dialect, you know, and about words and. And little give you know little words and little things that get said and they connect to the place as well where the story's being told you know recently I told a story here and I said oh he was canny you know he was canny enough to do that so he was clever enough you know he was thinking yeah. and the, the the listeners were like um it was just a little group you know of, of teachers it wasn't a live event or anything so it was fine and the whole point is that we kind of help each other and they were like Claire what does that mean what does, yeah. you know, and I was like, oh, right. Okay. That has to say what the word canny meant. And I just, it just, it's so natural to just drop words in yeah. to what you're saying that belong to the locality where you grew up, you know, yeah. and I'm a real kind of mishmash because I grew up in the South and then the North and then I moved again. And so I kind yeah. of, I pick up different words that are just there. And I think, yeah. like you say, it has a lot to do with it, just being in a place because yeah. places seep into you. gradually don't they they just seep in and then you just kind of evolve with them so I think that's the definitely a difference you know is that stories happen wherever they're being told and when you when you have a great distance between the setting of the story and where it's being told you do it does change it and alter it you know so yeah Yeah. definitely I think you're right I think there is a it is a, a, a specific difference you know and mm-hmm. you do feel it and when you've got a contrast to it then you then you recognize the con, you know the contrast yeah you know yeah yeah you don't know what
0: you don't know until you don't know it <laughs> until until you you know. Know. yeah I can't English very well today I'm sorry so <laughs> you're frozen I, I, I am. <laughs> I'm looking like you I'm, can speak so it's minus 23 <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> yeah. Uh, do you I beyond words and beyond just having, um, after being in a place, having, having pictures um, and smells and things and, I don't know, tangible elements um, that affect the telling. Do you feel like there are certain stories that drastically change once you've lived in a different place and you're telling it in a different place? Like, do you feel like there are, are there stories where the way that you tell it completely alters because of a new audience or a new mm,
1: perspective that you found from the landscape
0: does that make sense (laughs) kind of
1: kind of yeah I I think they change they have to change anyway don't they every time you you retell like you say it's never going to be the same twice so you're always telling and you're always adjusting to the listener and a good traditional storyteller I feel does know how to adjust to a listener and that's the whole point is that they're there to serve the listener mm. so you would maybe change for me I would maybe change the language building you know um you know if, if I was using a, a word and I recognize that the the listeners are not going to know what that that is yeah. but the word means a stream yeah. you know then I would I would re- I would say that what the word was in the story, but then I would say the stream as well. I kind of I kind of do language building a lot and it's very useful to do with different age groups of children, obviously, because they're learning new words yeah. or like very naturally. So I'd say two or three different words for the same event or the same feeling or the same thing. And I think that can happen. But I think when you, if you're telling a story that you love about a place that is dear to you, when you've got distance and you're telling you're talking about it you for me i find that i'm much more mindful of the story like i'm more i need to have do it right you mm-hmm. know like i can't afford to be flippant about Mm -hmm. it and i can't afford to just throw extra stuff in i need to make sure that i'm serving the story and where it comes from so it's about respecting the story the story as well and making sure that you're if you're gonna tell it far away from where it's based or from where you heard it that you're doing it right you know you're serving it and you're telling it correctly Mm -hmm. so i think that changes your approach to it changes and you kind of love it more you nurture it more and you recognize how special it is you know you don't just throw it around you know you kind of it is a special thing you know so I think you make sure that you're more mindful of it and I think I think for me personally I think that feel that's what's happened you know I don't there's a lot of stories that I I don't tell here because they're just not Not, like I said earlier, not every story, is you're not meant to tell every story. You are a listener more than you're a teller. Yeah. You know, you can't be a good teller without being a good listener. And the whole point is that you listen, listen, listen. And you might listen to 20 stories before you find one that you actually connect with and feel like you want to retell. So the most time, mostly a storyteller would spend much more time listening than they would actually tell it, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. That's one of the reasons I really, really wanted to have guest um, tellers on this podcast, actually, because yeah. it's true. It's like I I love telling stories when it's time to tell a story, but I would yeah. much rather listen most of the time and go, yeah, oh, but what did you, you know, what do you know? What do you know? And
1: yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. amazing. So I think that's that changes as well. Your, your approach to it changes and you're much more you know, not prissy about it, but you respect it, you know, you respect it for what it is and you don't mess with it, you know, because you, it's like a story can easily become a rumour through being Mm. retold and added and merged and changed. And the whole point of being a traditional storyteller is you're retelling it from memory as you heard it. There are specific things in that story that are there for a reason. You Mm. might not always know the reason and you're not always meant to know the reason Or just, they're just words that that belong with that story. And I think it's just about respecting the story. You know, you always serve the story before yourself. So the story and the listeners are always prioritized over the teller. You know?
0: That's so, again, I'm only one person and I've only been doing this for a little while, but to my experience, that's such a different way of coming at story than you often find in America because like, I remember when I was first trying to put together stories to tell for this podcast, I kept going, Oh, but I can't tell it like that because they told it like that. And if I tell it like that, then I'm stealing from them, which is a Mm. totally different experience than being in Europe and going, no, this is a lineage.
1: Oh, I and in France as well, everything is, is uh, liberated. You know, in France, as soon as it's in the air, it's free, you know, Yeah. you know it's, yeah. it's off you know but it's yeah. it is you're right definitely there is a, a, def, a definite difference in ethics and approach and the whole point of being an oral traditional storyteller is that you retell from memory yeah. and um, you're not taking somebody to court and suing them yeah you know and taking the soul yeah. out of the entire craft yeah you know <laughs> by, yeah. By, so it by, has to by, be mine
0: It has has to to be my story. It's mine versus, no, this is
1: our story, but I learned to tell it for us. But, you know, it happens all the time. And I guess we're only we're only human. And some people, they get so attached to a story that they love it so much that they want it to be theirs. And then they don't what they tend to forget is. And I've known storytellers from all over the place, you know, do this not often, but it does happen where they get so connected to that story that it becomes in their mind theirs and they can't bear anybody else telling it and it's like a jealous possession of a story and it's kind of you know and then they say well you you know that person I told him that story and 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 you know he did this and then he did that and he did the exact mannerism and all this stuff and that's mine and and I always think did you really think up that story Yeah, is that story yours? You know, it's only what two or three hundred years old. So, I, you look good for your age. (laughs) You know what? That story is yours, is it? You know, and they kind of forget that it's not their story. They've Mm -hmm. added to it. They've created something that is unique to them, and they've created a performance piece. So, yeah, that is theirs, Mm -hmm. and there are bits. Um, where these you know we get into gray areas with that obviously and you know it's it's rightful that people don't steal and that you know they, they are respectful of people's work obviously but you know if you turn around and say that is mine it was it really your idea that fairy tale that's hundreds and hundreds of years old yeah. it, that wasn't your idea you've taken it from the air in the first place yeah you know so it's very hypocritical then to turn around and go oh that's my you know that's my it's not didn't think that up you know the human race only has so we only have so many concepts and ideas Mm. you know they're they're just relayering of the same concepts really so it's like did you really think that up are you kind Mm of you know so you've got to be I think just and like as we get more relaxed with this and we we understand that then you become less prissy about it you know and and if you're going to do that with stories then you you're the one who's going to have to deal with it you know and and I think the that's what I miss a great deal is about being in Europe and being at home is that ethical unsaid approach to the human connection of retelling and listening that's that's part of that craft that's why it's essential to for listeners because a group of listeners are a community and that's what we touched on before about the size of a place you know so you're passing it to to somebody and there's a human connection there and that's for a very good reason if you take that away then you're kind of pulling away the platform of traditional storytelling yeah and you you might have a weakening it's
0: not the same
1: yeah so yeah. you've and that's what I do miss that I miss kind of just pitching up somewhere and sitting down and I miss the pubs you know I'm, I miss the best places for me to listen to stories are in pubs yeah you know, I can't I can't be sitting around a pub listening with people just telling stories for me it's just heaven yeah. you know and I do miss that a great deal
0: yeah. you know
1: just like just happening you know happening very naturally and then somebody just goes oh I've got this and then somebody interrupts and then somebody sparks something up and you know and then like you know and then a musician will start and then it kind of just the story it is a living it becomes a living energy you know it's a living thing you know and it creates an atmosphere and it moves around a room or a space so you've got to respect that that they are things in themselves they are alive i think stories yeah. in themselves they do oh, have yeah. an energy about them so you can't try and keep them in a box mm-hmm. you know you can't catch them with a net you know they really our stories and these things that connect us to people and places they're the last piece of freedom that we have and we have to respect that we can't box them up and tax them yeah. Because they're literally the only things that can fly over borders. That don't need passports. That travel independently. Can go anywhere. Can do all these amazing things. So we can't belittle that. You know, yeah. they do have energy in their own right. They are, they are very precious, important things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not to stretch the point out further, but I think I think I actually asked this in in my last interview also, though. Because you are a tradi- a traditional storyteller, but then also because stories do have a living component to them, where for you is the line where you say, actually, I am going to change this part. Actually, this part is okay to adapt. Like, where is the line if you do change it? Like, yeah. the, between making it your own and still being
1: true to the, the
0: lineage of it.
1: Um, for me I would think it's just depends upon the story and again depends upon the listener it's not I don't feel there's two elements to this one is you retell as you heard so you know it's kind of rude to listen to a story and then just go and say oh this is that story and it's completely different so you wouldn't do that for a start but I think with the gentrification of stories I was sat in a really listening to these three amazing women recently and it was a kind of Q&A about um, female archetypes within fairy tales and they were talking about um, you know how the stepmother came in how you know how women are kind of changed and put in stories and what they represent and then but but ironically it's women that tell more stories about that you know and and how that serves us and all these things and a lot of it was to do obviously with repression and power and gentrification so it's very um unlikely for me to say and then the prince asked her to marry him and she asked her and then the oh sorry the prince asked the father if he could marry his daughter and the father said yes I yeah. will never say that yeah I'm just not going to say it yeah <laughs> because yeah. it doesn't serve the young girls who were listening to the story I don't want them them to think that that's their happy ever after and that's yeah. something they strive the other thing I never do is describe how a heroine looks. Or a hero looks in a story because I want every story is true in the sense that what you see in your mind's eye is your personal truth, and nobody can say that's not true. So, when you're talking about a hero or a a character in a story, I want the listener to see that in their mind, and whatever they see in their mind is fine. It's regardless what it looks like, you know, whatever they see in their mind is that you know and yeah. that's the difference because that's the point you're not spoon feeding you're yeah. not visualizing you're not you're not drawing a picture and then saying this is and this is what this young girl looked like you know this yeah. is what this prince looked like or this is what this person looked like you, you're just leaving it mm-hmm. you're just leaving it with the listener to decide what they look like you know and that's yeah. another thing that I never do never describe really hair eyes color of skin, anything like that, I leave to the listener, because whatever hero is in their mind's eye, is that truth for them, and that's important, you know, because they've got to see that story in their mind, so I would never, so there may be things that I change, and you know, but I'm always kind with it. So it's not as if I say, and then the prince said this and she said, oh, and laughed and he felt awful and they all went home. I would never do that either. You know, I just kind of worded in, and then maybe this happened and the girl said, no, because I'm going to go around the world and get a degree and then a master's and then a PhD and we'll stay friends and they wrote to each other and had amazing (laughs) adventures and wherever they are, they're still there now. You know, that's still a positive, as positive way to end that story.
0: Yeah.
1: Then and then it stopped because they got married, and that's really job done. Tick, she's yeah. married, that's all she's ever meant to accomplish. Yeah. You know, I'm very personally, you know, fired up about that, you yeah. know, and yeah. on obviously more so since living in America. You know, yeah. I don't want the girls to feel that that's their only option.
0: Yeah, well, so, that's that's part of why I asked the question is because yeah. I'm finding more and more there are these stories that, that I have loved deeply since I was a child and that I feel very called to but as an adult woman nearing the end of my 30s looking back I'm going oh yeah yeah, Ooh, yeah. and you don't yeah yeah but 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 the, yeah. but the main characters themselves I still love and at the same uh-huh. time I don't want it just yeah. to become a platform for this is what I have to say as a feminist exactly but also, yeah this is yeah. what I have to say as a human person and a human person who identifies as a woman who yeah. you can see how things have changed. Like if you look back at like the the Pentamerone, the, I'm mispronouncing it, but like the Italian book of, of fairy tales that are like pre Grimm's brothers, um, While, of course, there's still a lot of the, you know, the young girl does this and she gets married and a lot, like, there's tons of that, like, it's rampant. Still, there are so many more female characters who, you know, even if they're killing people and not meaning to, they're still like, they're going for it, man. (laughs) They're Mm -hmm. doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just, I feel like there's been so much of that that's been pulled out, or, you know, of course, the stepmother is always evil. Why is the stepmother always evil? Well, we know why. We know why. You know, it has to do with land and it has to do with control and all of that. But at the same time, I really like the story.
1: Yeah, it's good. Yeah. And there's action in it and there's movement in it and all this, these colorful characters and, you know, all the dynamics and, you know, it's got to have some spark to it, hasn't it? So you've got to have this kind of cause and effect and the dynamics. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think the, and uh, you get that a lot with traditional witch stories mm. where, you know, which stories about, traditional stories about witches are literally propaganda stories. Yeah. And, you know, but they're great stories. They're great They're stories. great stories. They're, so good. Stuff happens. they're really, yeah. just full of action, you know, they're great stories. And that's why they stick around, because they're great stories. Yeah. But essentially, they're propaganda stories, you know, yeah. but it's, you know what can you do but it's so I always try and serve the story be kind and only tell a story that you love and if you do that you won't go wrong and like you say stories aren't again going back to the listener it's not for the teller to get on their soapbox and lecture that's di- that's not storytelling. That's called b- wanting to be a politician, you know, and there's, no. that's different. So oh, as long as you're thinking about the listeners and respecting them and respecting the story and serving it and being kind, telling a story that you love, it'll be all right. Yeah. It will be all Yeah, right. And you've got to, I think, again, as we were touched upon earlier about relaxing as you get older, it's yeah. like you can relax. The story can look after itself you know the story can look after itself the story's fine yeah you know you've just got to you know make sure that story gets delivered to wherever it's going that's all you've got to do yeah so then and and as long as you do it with kindness and you're telling story you love it's usually all right and Mm -hmm. it'll just happen you know it just it just happens you know I get really nervous before any event or storytelling that I do I still get really nervous but somehow it it, I know it's going to be all right because it's storytelling yeah so it's all right you know and um, the story can look after itself if it's a good story that you love it's all right you don't need to worry too much and it's the reception that you get to stories always warms the you know warms the space warms wherever you're doing it and it's it's all right I've gone to storytelling events where I know nobody in that room's got a story I know they haven't and they're also and it's silent and I get there, um and you know it still somehow manages to be an event that everybody enjoys because it just warms up you know stories are kind of they warm the room up you know So something will happen and it'll be all right, even if it feels really sparse and nobody's said anything and you get there and it's all like, uh-oh. but it, it'll come right. It'll come right in the end. And it's, you know, that's the beauty of it, I think, is, is recognising that the stories have power and strength and, and respecting that and not trying to control them too much. And I think that's when gentrification comes in. And now... We recognise it more for what it is. I don't know if that is because the last few years and all the, you know, some really big social changes have happened for the better. And now we are examining things and we do think twice about what we say and what it means and how it it comes across. and, And I think that's a very good thing. In stories because it's making everybody look at that story not just people who are feminists who or people who are for the guys as well for for male storytellers or whoever um that everybody regardless of gender or where you're coming from is looking at the words that they're saying and thinking about it and being kind so you know you don't to skim off the gentrification of a story isn't going to lose the story it's only like the story taking off a scarf that's strangling it it's Mm -hmm. like the story going oh thanks you know because the bones of the story is still there yeah the bones of the story were always there and then it got gentrified so it's not the gentrification didn't come first Mm -hmm. the story didn't get attached to that it's the other way around so if you just skim off the gentrification, the bones of that story is still strong. You know, it doesn't make any difference at all. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but it, it the difference that it makes in is that you're not saying something that you don't believe. Yeah. You know, as well, and and you've got to be true to that. You've yeah. got to be true to a story. So if you're stood there and you you know full well that what you you've just said you don't agree with, you wouldn't want to do yourself it's awful you know you wouldn't want to feel like that yeah
0: because
1: you're not being right you know you've got to like I say you've got to love that story and you've got to see it right but for yourself as well to be a teller you've got to do it there's nothing worse than telling a story that you don't love yeah it it it's just not a good thing to do you, it's an awful awful feeling I did it once and I'll never do it again because mm. I, I felt it was awful so if you you know, that, and I think that's the tweaking for me personally that I would think about on a story. As long as the bones of the story are there, you love the story, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's not something that, and you don't want to overly measure them either because you don't, the whole point is that they're different each time and that they're unique each time. So you can't, there's no prescription. Yeah. You know, you can't kind of, you, you can't do you can't look at everything under a microscope too much because again if you do it too clinically then it removes the element of the live storytelling it removes the element of it being told there and then in the round in the place it's told in that moment so you have to kind of loosen up a bit as well and not worry you know and again that comes with just practice is not worrying Let like the story's all right you know yeah. you've got to be all right about the story that's the point you know you've got to match the story not the other way around
0: so what to you makes a good story or what is it that calls you to to a story and you go
1: yeah that one is there a through line of some sort I don't know I think you have to just listen I would say on average you need to listen to 20 stories to listen to one that you feel is relevant for you to retell or that just um you know stories are kind of like cats you know they just jump up on your knee they choose you really they'll jump up on your knee and they'll stay there for so long and then they'll just wander off (laughs) you know so you've got I've got stories that I go through phases of telling like I'll tell it tell it tell it tell it and then I won't tell it for ages and then all of a sudden it'll kind of come back to me you know so I can't really describe that because I don't know the formula for that and I think that goes back to saying that the stories are strong enough in themselves they they can stand alone you know they kind of rescue you more than you rescue them you know you're not Mm. Um, picture you know taking them from the side of a, a cliff edge or anything but it's i th- i just think that you know when you hear a story that you love you know you, you just love it you feel it inside you you feel in your heart you know wow i love that story and then you you know usually um you would the etiquette would be that you would thank this person who told you the story and ask them to have a discussion about it, you know, and say, I'd love to retell that story, you know, and and go from there and, and practice it. And, but I can't, there's no formula to it. So I don't know. And again, it depends on the teller, you know, because sometimes storytellers are that great that any story they tell is brilliant. You know, they could read the phone book out and you'd be like, ah, amazing, you know? So sometimes you just (laughs) love the teller that much that, it's them that you love listening to you know and you love the story because you heard it from them you know so and then a little bit later you think back and you're like oh well of course you loved that story because they were telling it you know yeah it's not the same for you to retell so I guess it's just a judgment call and a balance and knowing those recognizing a few different things and really thinking about it I remember one lady um a Danish lady told me a story and it was about a crow and I love crows and I loved the story and she told it so brilliantly (laughs) excuse me and I was, oh no obviously it's a crow story so I should be able to retell it la 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 Mm -hmm. and I'm sat listening to the story of course I'm that excited about retelling it I'm not really listening because my mind had gone from listening to I can tell the story so I kind Mm of stopped listening properly and then I went Mm -hmm. up to her afters and I thanked her and said that was such a great story would you mind if I retold that story and she said she was really strict and she said can you retell that story to me right now and I was like no I couldn't I couldn't remember one little bit there was a component in it that I couldn't remember and I said no and she said you can't retell it then and she walked off (laughs) and I was like all right fair enough That's fair enough. Okay, just going to have to, that's fair, you know.
0: I was going to ask one or two more questions, but that actually seems like a really good segue. Did you Ah. say that you might have a story for us? Do you want, like, a minute to grab Mm -hmm. some water or anything?
1: I've got some coffee, so I'll just stick to that. Um, Well, it's coming up to winter solstice, isn't it? It is not it There are a couple of stories that I'm in love with at the moment um, that I... (laughs) That um, if I was with you in the we if we were in the same room, I would be telling you a certain story, but we're not in the same room. So I'm gonna, but I will tell you a nice winter solstice story oh, that's, that's just cute. Favorite. You know, it's just cute. Yeah. But again, what we were saying earlier, this it does have a a stepmother in, an evil stepmother yeah. in. So any stepmothers that are listening to this, I'm sure you're very nice. And I'm very sorry. Um <laughs> And I like to think as well as an evil stepmother representing not even a woman, but representing the world, Yeah, you know, representing yeah. the harshness of a life without a mother or a life without yeah. somebody who's there to help you, Yeah, you know? Teacher. So yeah. if there's any stepmothers listening, that's, you know, I think, you should, I think we should maybe look very closely at the, the role of the stepmother in story you know yeah. because there are some wonderful stepmothers yeah. you know who do anything for those children that all, and grow up and have known them for 30 40 years and been amazing yeah. you know so <laughs> anyway so sorry to all the stepmothers before I start this story that's a pre preclaimer. Okay. okay <laughs> very good, very good. And I think I was told this story. I want to say I was told this by Claire McNichol, who is amazing. If you're ever back in Edinburgh, if you get to listen to Claire McNichol, listen to her because she's just one of my favourite storytellers ever. She's absolutely, divinely, gorgeously brilliant. Um, But I think it was David Campbell who told me this story. And I can't... I've heard it from a few different people. So it's either David Campbell or Claire McNichol. So... Once upon a time, a long long time ago, there was a woodcutter and he lived in a cottage in the woods with his wife and his daughter, Mary. And his wife died and the woodcutter did his very, very best to bring his daughter up and teach her as much as he could, because he knew that she would need to know as much as possible about the woods and the environment around her, what to f- forage for, you know, what food she could and couldn't eat, what the creatures... Um, were around where they lived, the seasons, all the plants and the trees, everything. He, he wanted to tell her as much as he could and he did a really good job. So she was a very well-informed young girl and life went on, but then the inevitable happened. You know, he was only a young man himself and his wife died. And he was at market one day and he met another lady, the same age as him, who was also a widow. And she had a girl, a daughter about the same age as his. So the inevitable happened. They fell in love. They got married and she moved into the cottage with the woodcutter and Mary, his daughter. But what happened was that when the woodcutter was around, everything was all very sweetness and light and she was very sweet. and Everything was cool. As soon as the woodcutter left then she would be incredibly cruel and she would give Mary all the worst jobs that nobody wanted to do and be very vicious towards her and so would her daughter because the stepmother saw Mary as being a block to her daughter's inheritance so she wanted Mary gone and The day before winter solstice, the woodcutter announced that he would need to go deep, deep into the forest and he would need to stay away for a couple of days. And he asked Mary to do everything her stepmother told her and to be good and he'd be back soon. And she promised her father, of course, and he left. And well, as soon as that door was shut, then it was started. She had to do all the cleaning. Nothing was right everything was wrong, nothing was enough, and finally towards the end of the day on the 21st of December, about two o'clock in the afternoon, the stepmother said, go into the woods Mary and take that basket and don't come back until it's full of strawberries. Well it was December, Mary knew it was December, there'd be no strawberries, and you know, She wouldn't take no for an answer and she said, if you can't fill that basket with strawberries, Mary, don't bother coming back. Well, she gathered what she could. She got as many layers on as she could and she went out into the woods. But of course, there were no strawberries. The snow was on the ground. The ground was iron cold and she came across a pine tree with a log underneath it was a little bit of shelter after a few hours she was absolutely frozen to the bone and the sky was gray and heavy with snow and her feet were numb with cold she sat under the pine tree on the log and she started to weep because she knew really this was it you know she knew she wasn't going to find those strawberries she knew she couldn't go back What was the point? You know, she might as well give up there and then. And as she lifted her head, she smelt something on the air. It was wood smoke. And she turned and there was definitely wood smoke in the air. Somebody nearby was having a fire. Well, she stood and she followed the smell of the wood smoke. And she took her down all these little wee paths that she'd never been down before in the woods. She kept following the smell of the smoke and then before long she saw a faint amber glow like a yellow glow and she knew it was the glow of the fire <gasps> Wow! Well, she needed to get warm eh? she was freezing freezing cold so she followed the smell of the smoke and she followed the small gleam of the fire until she came to a clearing in the woods and she got to the clearing and in front of her dancing around the fire were 12 wee men and they were jumping and springing around the fire and having a whale of a time but when they saw Mary was there everything stopped they all froze and just looked at her and then one stepped forward and with a very deep bow he said hello young lady what can we do for you and she said Um, I'm ever so sorry to disturb you, but I was looking for some strawberries and I I don't think I'm going to find any, but I was ever so cold and I saw the fire and I smelt it and I just wanted to get warm. That's fair enough. He said, allow me to introduce myself. I am December and my associates here are the months of the year. It's a pleasure to meet you. We've seen you here before, haven't we? We've seen you. Ah, yes, said one. He stepped forward and with a deep bow, he said, allow me to introduce myself, Mary. I'm January. And as he spoke, all the icicles covered the trees. And then February stepped forward and with a deep bow, a low mist went around Mary, but it was slightly warmer. We've seen you here. We've seen you gathering mushrooms. We've seen you gathering brambles. We know who you are, Mary. We've watched you out here many a day. And then April and May stepped forward, March stepped forward and the breeze and the wind blew. April and May stepped forward and all the buds on the trees in the clearing started to come out and then June stepped forward and with a low bow he said hello there Mary and as he spoke to her all the trees became heavy and lush and all the flowers were out and it was absolutely beautiful and the birds were singing in the air. And December turned to June and he said, I think this is a job for you, June. "Mm, Yes, I think you're right, said June. Allow me, Mary, follow me. And he took a torch from the fire and he set off a bit deeper into the woods with Mary. And they came to a new clearing and she looked down and she couldn't believe her eyes because there were strawberries. Ripe, red strawberries, ready to eat, perfect, all over the clearing. And the trees were lush and the birds were singing and the sky was clear. And June said, You know, we need to hurry now, Mary, because we can only use our magic on one day of the year. We can only use it on the 21st. So we need to gather these now. I've not long left. So Mary got a basket, she filled it up with strawberries. They were absolutely gorgeous. And he said, I'll escort you home, don't worry. And she said, Goodbye to the other 11 months and she walked through the woods through the wee paths that she'd never been on before and June escorted her home and they got to the porch of the cottage and he gave her a quick kiss on the cheek and said you take care now you take care and off he scampered and disappeared into the night and Mary went into the cottage with that basket of strawberries and her stepmother nearly fainted she didn't know what to do because the last thing she expected was Mary to return And the last thing she expected was Mary to return with a basket full of ripe, ready-to-eat gorgeous-looking strawberries. Well, of course, the first thing the stepmother and the stepdaughter did was scoff the strawberries. They ate them all within about 20 minutes in front of the roaring fire and didn't let Mary have one. Mary knew they'd do that, it didn't matter. And then she said, where did you get these strawberries from, girl? And Mary said, well... um, I got them in the woods I can see that said the stepmother but you know it's December so come on where did you get the strawberries from what did you do to get them and she said I didn't really do anything well you must have done something what did you do and she knew that things were going to turn now so she told the stepmother the truth and she said I went into the woods I couldn't find any I sat down under a tree And I smelt the wood smoke and it turned out there were 12 men in the woods and I met June and he took me to get the strawberries. You idiot, said the stepmother, you absolute fool. You've met the 12 months of the year. They only come out on solstice and you asked them for strawberries. Why didn't you ask them for money? Why didn't you ask them for diamonds? like the stars, or gold, like the moon, or rubies, like the sunset. Why didn't you come back with jewels and money, something that we could all use? You're such an idiot. I can't trust you to do anything right, Mary. Come on. And she got the her own daughter, and the pair of them got all wrapped up, and, of course, they had much warmer clothes. They got all their nice furs round them, scarves and everything, and they went out into the woods, and they followed the same path that Mary said she'd taken. So it wasn't long before they got to the pine tree where they could see the log underneath. Uh, That's where she must have stayed, said the stepmother. And they sat there for a while and it wasn't long. And they did indeed smell the wood smoke. They followed the wood smoke and then they saw the glow of the fire. Mm And they got to the clearing, and there indeed were the 12 months of the year. The 12 Elvish men were dancing around that fire. And as soon as they saw the lady and her daughter approach, they all froze. And December stepped forward, and he gave the lady a deep bow. Can I help you, madam? He said. Oh, yes, said the stepmother, and she put on a sickliest, like sweetest, sickliest voice, you know. She says, my daughter, my stepdaughter was out here not a, uh, just a few hours ago, sir, and um, you very kindly helped her go and get some strawberries. Um, we were wondering if it wouldn't be too much trouble if you'd also assist us, um, um, if you could assist us get some, maybe some diamonds, you know, like just like the diamonds that we see in the sky. And um, yes, said the daughter, yes. And maybe some gold like the moon. That's right, said the stepmother. Yes, good girl. And maybe some rubies like we see in the sunset. Maybe some rubies. Could you could you help us out, gentlemen? I'm sorry, my stepdaughter. She doesn't, she's not very, you know, she's she's not very clever. She probably forgot. We did ask her for those things. She probably just forgot. Ah, said December. Yes, yes, we, we understand, we understand. And he looked around. The fire is at the other 11 and he said, March, this may be a job for you. And March stepped forward and with a deep bow, March said, hello, madam, allow me to assist you. For the diamonds and the gold and the rubies. And March started to dance around the stepmother and the stepdaughter. Around and around March went like a whirling dermish, faster and faster and faster and faster, until the winds reeked around them both and their hair was flying everywhere and they were holding on to the scarf cuz it was freezing and then march lifted them up into the air and then he snapped his hands together and they both went flying high up into the night sky there you go said march there you are with all your diamonds and it won't be long before you see the gold of the moon and the ruby of the sunset have a wonderful life ladies And we never saw them again and the next day the woodcutter returned home and in the red morning light of the morning she heard the crunch of her father's footsteps coming towards the cottage and she opened the door and you know it was odd but he never asked where his wife was and he never asked where the stepdaughter was and they just carried on living there and wherever they are you know they're still there now but they say in that cottage in those woods that if it's a very very cold day all of a sudden it will feel warm almost as if it's June and then if it's a very very warm day say in August all of a sudden a cool March-April breeze will whisk around the cottage and cool everybody's ankles down and Wherever they are, Mary is still living there now.
0: go and it's a very, it's like we were saying earlier it's a very different awareness for me of the idea of going to look for strawberries in the snow yeah right now when I'm experiencing my first real winter yeah and I'm like I'm her feet and her hands oh my gosh I would I'd be sobbing <laughs> like, I'd be like well I'm gonna die now yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I mean what is it what what did you say It was minus 23 there Minus 23 Celsius,
1: yeah. so minus six degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. That's no joke. Yeah. So she obviously didn't want to see her again. But again, sorry, 20 stepmothers listening. We're sure oh, you would well. never do that. You would never do that. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> you have things coming up, no? With um... I
1: have. Oh, well, it was a bit of a bummer. As you will know, we've all got the same story. We were just about to do something and then... We went on to lockdown Mm -hmm. so we had we used to have a monthly club called Katie Corner that I started here in Sedona and we moved to this lovely new space after the in the second year of the club and we had one one there we had February and then everything closed down and we managed to do Um, world storytelling day where we just did it um, just a few of us and we filmed so it wasn't it wasn't a kind of communal event and then we had and then COVID and then now I'm thinking that for for Sedona a monthly club with the other projects I've got on I'm better doing more seasonal events So I'm going to do at least four a year um, and have them like every quarter do an event so the next one Will probably be in um, for World Storytelling Day, probably in March, and then we'll go from there. I was thinking of maybe do some for Winter Solstice, or but I mm-hmm. uh, maybe I'll go over to somewhere and listen to other people, you know, for yeah. Winter Solstice. Hopefully, because I've missed them a few a few years on the trot now, so I'm going to try and 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 go and listen to some others, and then. Um, maybe do an event probably in March so it'll be you know it'll be whatever I'm going to just keep it four to six events a year now because I think it gives people longer to plan as well you know and I can I can start letting people know sooner it gives me a couple of months to just keep reminding them Um, and the last time we did that it worked it worked quite nicely and we had a really nice event for Halloween so that was the first real kind of live storytelling event that I'd had here since. The March that we locked down so yeah so that's what's coming up and I do I'm on artist in the classroom here so it depends what the teachers ask for and what schools they want me to go into and things so that'll just be as and when but event wise um, I'm probably looking at March you know and I'll, yeah. I'll put that on my on my little Facebook page anyway so you'll see it I guess but yeah that's awesome. and I've kind of I'm in that place where I'm I've got eight things on the go yeah. and all of them are going along in their own little slow pace and I just want to get a couple of them finished. <laughs> you know, if I could get I two of one. them finished, it would be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's okay. You know, it's fine. It's fine. And I'm enjoying, you know, I am lucky here. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've heard of the South Mountain. Uh, community college they have a great <laughs> storytelling um thing there and it's led by um a lady called liz warren um, and she's okay. just amazing and really she know the great thing about storytellers is we all know each other so there's like this big global thread you know so of course liz warren knows liz weir and other storytellers who i know already so that's perfect and and um so I do have I do feel like I've got a little hub you know and people Mm -hmm. here um which is lovely and I'm learning the differences and to listen and like we touched on earlier the differences in approach um you know I'm I'm listening to a good plethora of different tellers and some of them are the, the the one great thing about Americans is they will often know a lot more than you like if I'm talking about where I'm from they will come out with things and have been to places in Yorkshire or Wiltshire or Edinburgh that I've never been to oh, wow. you know and they'll be like oh have you done this have you seen that and because the place is so small so when Americans get there they go everywhere yeah. they just hop on planes and they fly everywhere and they see more places that you've seen in your lifetime and then am finding that here that the the storytelling approach is very different for what for reasons we've already discussed but also the storytellers that I've met here they're incredibly informed and respectful as well Mm. you know they are very very respectful and very well read and they're really thirsty to to know and learn and listen and they do understand those things are different you know and I think I'd like to see more people here giving themselves permission to gather their stories and tell them as much as they talk about their heritage because the first thing an American says is oh is I'm from I'm Scottish or I'm Irish or I'm Welsh or I'm English or you know my my family came from Italy or Poland or was you know they're very straight away they they know those that those bits of information but yet they don't feel that they can tell their stories and I'd like it's so a kind of for the confid, and I think it's a confidence thing that they don't feel as if they are their stories. And they are. Yeah. If your great great grandmother is is Polish, you can tell Polish stories. They're your stories because yeah. that's your lineage, yeah. that's your heritage, it's your family. Mm. You know, it's okay. So I think there's some of that that is that happens where there's a lack of confidence. Mm you know and there's an assumption Mm -hmm. that you can't but actually you know it's all right you know there's just it's just like you say it's a different it's getting the approach right and the etiquette right and understanding that you know and there's there's different reasons I guess why it's different here but they are incredibly respectful and and quite awe-inspiring some of the storytellers I know here they're really great so that's been lovely you know
0: yeah I think right now especially I think many of us have tried to always be respect. I think a lot of people are good people in general, and if they know to be respectful, they want to be respectful. Yeah. But I think also these days, with with um, the discussions around appropriation being at the forefront yeah, of most people's minds, yeah, we're ten thousand times like there's. I I've been working for some time on a retelling of. Um, The Loathly Lady or The Wife of Bath's Tale, you know, however you want to look at it. Uh Because I've always loved that story. Mm -hmm. And I've listened to about 30 different versions of it. I've read a bunch of them. But the fact that some of the characters in there relate to Welsh mythology and I don't and I'm aware enough now to know that I know nothing about actual Welsh mythology Mm -hmm. as opposed to what's been, you know, shown to us in the States, which has been mushed into Celtic. Yeah. Like, I... I've been afraid to tell it because I don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, I'm also like, but this is also a story that is in many traditions and I am not trying to be disrespectful. I, in fact, want to respect it by telling it. I just want to tell it well.
1: This, yeah, so was, yeah. And this came up you know. recently, like a QA and a that I was having with some other storytellers where um, one, one person said the worst thing you can do is with appropriation is you know it's not as if you're going to sit there and, and tell it and put on this really awful Welsh accent Oh
0: God! you know no. that, would be, <laughs> yeah, no. that would
1: be that would be you know mm-hmm. that's the thing is that and maybe 20 years ago somebody might have tried to do that you know so it's it's that you do have to think about these things but there are like you say there's never only one story there's always crossovers there's always versions and if you're being true to the story and you love it then it'll be all right you know so that's the main thing to remember is you're serving that story and you're doing it correctly and if there are links to certain places then Mm -hmm. you know you'll gather that information You'll do it appropriately, you know. You'll take good advice, and all those things, and it'll be fine, you know. Yeah. But as long as you do it respectfully, then then it's then it's okay. You've got to serve the story and the listener, you know. And if yeah. you love it, then you love it, you know. Yeah. And there's a reason for it. Um, but yeah. it's yeah, it's uh, I think it's there's there's a lot of reasons that are good at the moment as to why we should really think about the messaging within stories and what we're saying and, and how when you really look at them, you know, like you said earlier, the feminist in me is just, I can't, you know, it's crazy, you know, and and it's the same for, for everything, you know, to be sensitive, to be respectful and know what yeah. stories to tell and, and, and know what stories not to tell that are not yours to tell yeah. and be respectful of that. Um, yeah. But also to, to be relaxed enough to feel as if they are, They are stories there for you to inherit as a community and as an individual. You know, they are social inheritance. They're social currency. So it it is important. And if we don't retell stories, then they die. So they have to be kept alive. We have to keep retelling them. Um, So there's that aspect as well. So it's, it's all about balance. And if you do everything with respect and the kindness there and you're doing it with a good heart and for the right reasons, then it'll be okay you know and um you just you, you learn by practice as well don't you you know you might have told a story 10 years ago that you just know n- now you'd go all right okay that's not my story yeah. to tell but you've got to learn you know yeah. you've got to you know, and you learn by mistakes you know yeah. so we've all made we we as storytellers we, we've all told stories in the past that we maybe think now not only are we not meant to tell them at the moment for whatever reason because like I say the cat's left the lap and it's it's off and it'll come back when it when it's ready but also just you know it's a different time we've got to recognize the times and that is why a living tradition a living tradition like storytelling which is a living oral tradition it goes along with the times it's it looks back and forward and now all at the same time that's the point so it has to it automatically and naturally adapts because we adapt and we're telling them there are stories so they do adapt and they do change and it's not all set in stone you know and that's mm-hmm. the whole point so there is a natural adaptation that stories take as well and there are yeah. there's reasons why some stories have dropped off you know that they're just not around anymore some that yeah. you know they're they're alive centuries and centuries and hundreds of years later because they're so vibrant and special and important and as long as we're retelling them that's that's all right you know yeah so it's better for you to for a story to be alive and to be to be told you know than to die. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you so much. Thank you for everything. Well, thank,
1: thank you, you for, for inviting for me. Being... It's great to see you and listen yeah, to your adventure. To you. You're always somewhere's great. You know, you're somewhere. always somewhere in tr- somewhere in the world. I thought you were you were gonna
0: end with the word somewhere. You're always somewhere. You're always I somewhere. I am always somewhere.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wherever I am, wherever I'm she is, she's not so... still there. <laughs> <laughs> wherever she is <laughs> wherever she is, she's just been. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be back later. <laughs> yeah. well, I'll love you and leave you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: You have been listening to an episode of The Loom, the podcast series that gives you folk tales, myths, legends, and lore from all over the world. Many, many thanks to Claire Obermark for her story and her time today. You can follow her on social media at Storyteller Claire Obermark and listen to more enchanting stories told by her on her YouTube channel listed in the show notes below. The song you heard in the middle of today's episode is called Three Ravens by Axl Tree, Used Courtesy of the Free Music Archive. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing sharing the series with your friends, or helping others to find it by leaving a quick rating and review on your podcasting platform of choice. I promise, it really does help a lot. If you would like to view the uncut video version of this episode, or explore any of my other projects and extended materials, head on over to patreon.com slash songs for dark times, and consider becoming a patron. Last but not least... I want to give a special thank you to the group Varelsa for our theme music this season. You can check out more of their music and purchase their album at varelsa.com. That's varels dot C-O-M. Thank you, friends, for listening today. I hope you'll come back soon, for I have many stories to tell when next we meet again.